We're in Acts chapter 21, if you want to turn there to your notes. And Lord willing, we're going to get down to verse 14 this morning. And we're entering into the part of Acts where we really get into uh, a lot of Paul's travels and a lot of time on boats and ships and so forth. As we'll see this morning, Paul uh, really leaving uh, Miletus there where he had left with the elders in Ephesus. Uh, I think we spent about three, four weeks with them looking at that, you know, what final message and interaction he had with them. We saw him last week as he was, uh, you know, departing from them and they wouldn't see him again really commending them or entrusting them to the Lord and the Word. And we talked about that, that call to entrust everything to the Lord And then we saw him charging them, again, to follow his pattern, and in this case, his pattern of labor. How he didn't take from them, and how he labored amongst them, not only to pay his own bills, but to have something to give to others. And we went into that in great detail. And then as Paul departed, he wept, and he prayed for them, and then he moved on. And again, he got on that ship, we'll see this morning, several stops that he made. We won't get into necessarily the details of all those places, But we see him now headed towards Jerusalem. And eventually in Acts, we'll see him in Jerusalem. We'll see an uprising against Paul. And Paul then entering the Roman prison system to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see him uh, passed off and moved around and on various ships and so forth. And, you know, it's someone into a sailing's dream come true, this part of the Bible. And, you know, what's fascinating about this is... uh, you know, the evidence of the Bible is just so huge. They've taken, uh, you know, people have taken that are, uh, you know, sailors and stuff, and they've retraced uh, all of the ports and the stops and so forth, and the various times that they were uh, on the ship in these chapters, 21 through 28, and the various conditions, and man, it all absolutely fits like a glove as we know those conditions would be and so forth. So just throw that out there as well as we're kind of entering in to this, you know, really last stretch run of the book of Acts. This morning, we're going to see Paul running a straight course on this ship practically, and even more so, again, running a straight course spiritually in his walk with the Lord as well as in his ministry. Because we're going to see a couple prophetic words given to him this morning that trials and persecutions awaited him in Jerusalem and in fact a prophetic word that he would be arrested there and with that prophetic word encouragement amongst the people that got those words given to Paul that he shouldn't go forward but Paul was pressed by the spirit to go forward even knowing those things waited before him and so he continued to run that straight course with his eyes on the Lord now in the course of this today we're going to see him as well meeting up again with Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven deacons that we read about earlier in the book of Acts. And we'll kind of recap that a bit. And what's beautiful is some time has passed, and we're going to see Philip as well as a man who has continued to not only run the course himself, we'll see him still abounding in the Lord in ministry, but we're going to come to, in my opinion, one of the most glorious verses in the book of Acts, Because we read about Philip that he had four virgin daughters that prophesied. I mean, you talk about a glorious verse. And we're going to consider how Philip, by the grace of God, was raising these girls as well to run a straight course in following the Lord 
And I'm going to have a list for you this morning of seven things. We're going to look at seven attributes in Philip's life that was, you know, helping him or enabling the Lord to work through him to raise up these godly girls. And boy, we need that desperately in our culture today. It is extremely challenging to raise children in this day that we are living in. And so I think we get direct counsel from the word of God that uh, you parents you know what, encourage you to, to, to take note of these things, and really all of us this morning, because really it's Philip being an influence of purity and of the things of the Lord upon those that were in his household. And whether it's children or just individuals we're interacting with, God's called us to be ambassadors of Christ and to represent him. He's called us to be salt and a light in a world that is just rapidly decaying and becoming darker and darker so we want to glean from philip's life and see again some of these attributes that was making an impact upon the daughters right there in his own home so um that's a little bit of where we've been and now let's get to where we're going Uh, i'm not going to read through the whole text in its entirety at once we'll make our way down a few verses at a time and Lord willing, get down here to verse 14. So let's read the first three verses together. It says, Now it came to pass that when he had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course. And again, that's the title of our message this morning, running a straight course. We came to Kaz the following day to Rhodes and from there to Patrara. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted cyprus we passed it on the left sailed to cyprus or to syria excuse me and landed in tyre for there the ship was to unload her cargo and we read these first three verses and it comes across as a transitional section you know of paul going from miletus and eventually in tyre and it really is but there's also some things to really consider and some applications for us just in these three verses And we'll look at even a few practical things that I think sets the stage for some of the spiritual things and some practical things that have some spiritual insights here in these first three verses. Now again, he departed from the elders on their way eventually to Jerusalem. That's where Paul's goal is right now, to get there to spread the gospel amongst his countrymen. We'll come back to that here again at the end of our study. But notice, they get in the ship and it says they set sail. And... One thing I know about sails, I don't know a lot about boats and stuff and so forth. I'm not a boat guy. But one thing I do know is that you can set a sail, but that sail is not going to move that boat unless the wind comes in and blows that sail. The sail, again, is is the apparatus that the wind moves to move the boat. But if the wind doesn't come, guess what? The boat doesn't go anywhere. It just sits there. And what's interesting about the word wind in the Greek, it's very much associated with the word spirit. Very much associated with it. And you see, in the same manner, when it comes to our walk with the Lord, when it comes to our ministry, when it comes to that impact in our life, and we see this in Paul's life running the straight course, we'll see it in Philip's life who was running the straight course, we want to be vessels like that cell that's available for the Lord to work through, for the Lord to move, But hear this this morning, we're not going to do anything unless the Holy Spirit comes in and takes hold of that sail. We just aren't. Efforts of man and the works of the flesh 
and plotting and scheming and so forth, even with a good intention, unless it's empowered from upon high by the Spirit of God, it's just not going to make any impact at all. And more than ever in this world that we are living in, and we've talked about this through the book of Acts, and I make no apologies for coming back to it again, we have to be a people that are being empowered from upon high in the, in, from, from the Holy Spirit. You know, especially you look around and you see what's going on in our world and in our nation. And, and I, I don't want to give up on our country. I don't want to give up on our state. I don't want to give up on our community, even in the midst of some of you guys probably saw uh, the last few days. Uh, it's not Nike issuing the, the shoe, but there's a rapper called Little Nas X. And you're like, well, I, you know, what, what in the world? And they put forth a shoe, one of 666, and it's got a pentagram on it. And it's made with human blood and all this stuff. And it comes with a video that had 13 million views the first day where, you know, it, it's just gross uh, interaction and sexual immorality. And this thing's blowing up, but everyone's being drawn to that. And I look at that, and I look at how the church just seems to be wanting to address worldly issues with worldly counsel versus getting back to the Word of God. And I'll tell you, it's overwhelming. You look at all that, and and I want to see revival. I want to see a move of the Lord. But listen, I, I know I don't have the ability or capability to do that in myself. Absolutely not. I'm I'm powerless. But I do know this. I do know that all things are possible with God. And I know when the Spirit of God moves, listen... The enemy of our soul cannot stand against that. And we need a move of the Holy Spirit in this world that we're living in. We need to be available vessels like the sail there. But we need to pray for that power to come in like the wind that blows that sail. The power of the Holy Spirit to come in. Think about the Lord's Prayer as we call it. How it ends. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. But he also gives us insight. In Matthew six thirteen. he says, For yours is the kingdom. Notice, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Yours is the power. I'm powerless. I can't do anything in myself. Listen, any ministry that I do do, it's only because of gifts given from the Lord and any impact that's made, it's only because the Spirit of God. It's the power of God. I don't ever save anybody if someone says a sinner's prayer or I get to pray with them. That's God that does that. It's God's gospel and it's the Spirit of God. Beautifully, though, in this call to be a witness to the world around us, we read in Acts 1.8, Paul to, or God, Jesus told the disciples, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we've seen throughout Acts, we've seen in the Word of God that the Lord wants to empower us, endow us with the power of the Holy Spirit to be a people that are bearing fruits of the Spirit, to be a people that are operating in the gifts of the Spirit, and to be a people that are a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ with unction and power to a fallen world around us. And listen, this, this, this empowering is not something that is meant to be elusive to us or something that is hard to obtain. In fact, Jesus makes it very simple. He tells us in Luke eleven thirteen, if you then being evil... Are you being sinners know how to give good gifts to your children? Do we all know how to do that this morning? You know how to give good gifts to your kids? How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, again, that asking has to come with a genuinely humble heart. It has to come again as a sail that's there in the water wanting to be used. 
if, if the boat's just docked and caught up in just other things, that's going to be problematic. But when we come to him and recognize we need you, Lord, I need you, Lord. God, I don't want to squander my time here on earth with aimless conduct. Come and empower me in my walk and empower me with my witness. I don't want to grieve you. I want to, again, lay my struggles before you and ask for your help. Come and meet me where I'm at. The Lord will hear that prayer. He absolutely will. And it's just my prayer that, again, we see a great move of the Spirit. Because even the Scripture talks about in the last days, the Lord would pour out His Holy Spirit on all flesh, that His maidservants and His, his, his manservants would prophesy. And I'll tell you, this world needs a prophetic word. And I'm not talking about these phony pastors with these big followings that just prophesy everything wrong and they just tell people what they want to hear. I'm not talking about those clowns. I'm talking about people in the trenches that just, you know what, move around others where there's no limelight that want to be yielded to the Lord. That's what we need in this nation and in this world. Now, again, they set sail and then it says they ran a straight course. And this was ultimately to Jerusalem And we'll see Paul practically not deviating to the left or to the right practically. And then as we go through this as well, we'll see that's the case spiritually for Paul, for Philip, for his four virgin daughters. And this is a call that God's put on us to be a people that run a straight course. Amen. To be a people with our eyes on Jesus, to be a people that are moving forward in him, to be a people that aren't running the course that we ran before we came to Christ. Notice Ephesians 2.2. 2, you once walked according to the course of this world. That's before we came to Christ. We did what we wanted to do. We did what was right in our own eyes. We followed the counsel of the world in one way or another. And let me tell you, that course is a crooked path. And that course leads to a wide gate that the end is destruction. But when we heard the gospel... And we were convicted of our sin. And we called out to Christ. I'll tell you, we went off that wide road to the narrow road. And we went off the crooked course. And we were called to the straight course. And the door that leads to salvation. We were called again from that crooked path to the straight one. To, again, as Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. We came to the way, to the right path. Is he your Lord today? Can you say amen to that? Then listen. You are all on now, you have your feet set on the right way, the straight path. And now practically God wants us to abound in that and to continue in that, to move forward in him, not to drift back to that course we once walked in. And maybe you're here this morning and you have been drifting back to that course where the appetites of your heart are for the worldly things and your goals and aspirations and so forth looks just like the world's goals and aspirations and so forth, when it shouldn't be the case. Notice Hebrews 2.1, it says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And again, I don't know a lot about boating and sailing and all that stuff, but I do know this, to get from one point to the other, you have to set a straight course, and you have to make sure you do not drift You have to keep your eye on the point that you're going to. And sometimes there's great navigation that needs to take place out on the sea to get to that spot where you wanted to go. When the waves come in and the winds come in and the storms come in and so forth. And so all the more, again, let's make it our aim to run a straight course to give 
more earnest heed to the word of God lest we drift. And then listen to this promise. This is a verse that has always intrigued me and, and, and stirred my heart. And I'll tell you, I've seen the fruit of this by God's grace in my own life. Coming to Christ you know, early in my life and then all of the rigmarole and mistakes and backsliddenness and everything over the years. And then coming to the Lord again as a young man or coming back to Him and having just so much damage in my life from just sin and stupidity and everything else. But one thing I've seen is by God's grace, when you walk in that straight course, and sometimes we drift and God's faithful to chase us and bring us back. It's amazing, though, when you get your eyes on the Lord and you move forward, how much healing he comes and brings. And when the believer, again, keeps drifting and wants to go back to the course of the world, it hinders the work that God wants to do in your life of restoration and and. You know, the renewing of the mind and the establishing of, you know, a, a garden, so to speak, that would bear great fruits of the spirit of God. You know, like an apple orchard that year after year you get a bumper crop from. Listen to this verse, Hebrews twelve twelve. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and feeble knees. And that, to me, that's just a picture spiritually of, of us before we come to Christ. And notice verse 13. And make straight paths for your feet. And hear this. So that which is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Do you want healing in your life? Are there things that are dislocated from, you know, those years spent separated from the Lord? Maybe some of those things that continue to be dislocated. Well, listen, the Lord's called us to set a straight course. To make straight the paths of your feet. To get your eyes on Jesus. For us to start cutting out compromise where we're sowing the things of world in our life and we're living a lukewarm existence i'll tell you you get your eyes on the lord and you follow him it is amazing the renewing that will come to your mind and the healing that will come to your soul and to your person and i know the lord wants that for every single one of his children now they came to patara and they found a ship and this is just a little side note because listen they're stepping out in faith they don't know what ships are going to await them and what port. You know what? They, they, they don't have the type of communications and so forth that we have today. They're stepping out of faith. And this is a little side note. I love it because as they go place to place, the Lord provides. And they come to Patara and they find a ship. And just a, just a, a little word here. As they moved in faith, provisions come and provisions came. And it's a phrase that you've probably heard before where he guides he provides. Isn't that glorious? And I found over the years, oftentimes there's a lack of provision. It's usually because there's a wrong vision. <laughs> if there's a lack of provision, it's usually because there's a wrong vision. And here's Paul with the right vision, because remember, he's walking the straight course as the Holy Spirit is purposing these things on his heart. And, and he doesn't know what awaits him, but God's making a way for him every step along the way. Now notice verse 4, and finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul, through the Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. Now there were no hotels, but there was something better. Hospitable brethren and hospitable sisters. Won't spend a lot of time on this, but 1 Peter 4, 9 says, Be hospitable to one another. Notice here, this is a big part of it, without grumbling. <laughs> Anyone ever grumble? (laughs) 
You know, we're having so-and-so. You know, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And then notice, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And sometimes those gifts include practical things that God has given us to be hospitable to others, to minister to others and so forth. Maybe for some of you, it's having your car available on a Sunday or a Wednesday to pick someone up week after week and bring them to church. You know, hopefully in our fellowship here with this this beautiful place God has blessed us with it. Indeed, his hand's been on it for, you know, what many years. We, we try to make this place hospitable. We try to make it welcoming and clean and have people greeting folks. And, you know, I can't encourage you enough when you're coming on Sunday morning, not only come to receive, but to give and have a hospitable spirit to your brothers and sisters in the Lord and anyone that you would see that you've never met before. They're a stranger. Listen, it takes big steps of faith for people even without faith that, that maybe haven't come to the Lord to come out to church and so forth. And all the more we want to greet them and we want to meet them and we want to be hospitable with one another as well, sharing our lives with one another. God grant us grace and mercy to grow in that. Can we say amen to that? Now listen, they tell Paul through the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. And this is an example biblically, and we'll see it again here uh, uh, a little later. In fact, we'll read it here in a second in verse 10 and 11. But this is an example of a prophetic word, or you could call it a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, perhaps all three brought together in this case, recorded in a scripture that's a specific word for an individual that does not contradict scripture. And though it's scripture that it's in scripture, in a way it's not scripture, but don't take me, again, out of context in that. It's scripture, but it's an example in scripture of someone giving a prophetic word that does not contradict Scripture, and in it itself, again, was a specific word for Paul. Hopefully, hopefully that I didn't confuse anyone with that. Now, does 1 Corinthians 12, 4, it says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversity, diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given each one, notice here, for the profit of all. Of all. And this was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It, it was a, 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 an activity of the Spirit of God for the prophet of all, and specifically here for the prophet of Paul. And notice here, it's given to one a word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith through the same Spirit, gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, and then discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, but the one and same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. And this was a word, a prophetic word. You could say in a way it was a, it was a foretelling of future events, but it was also a word of knowledge, a word of, of, of wisdom, a word of warning given to Paul. And when it talks about a diversity of gifts, activities, and ministries, you know, it, it's really the Holy Spirit taking gifts, and sometimes it's this gift with a little of that gift, and it, it's almost like a color palette where you can mix your base colors and come up with tens of thousands and co- of, of different colors and so forth, but it's always going to fall within biblical guides in the activity and ministry, 
And there's never, when a prophetic word is given like this, it's never going to contradict Scripture. I mean, we're promised trials and tribulations, right? And now the Spirit specifically is giving a prophetic word to Paul that trials await you in Jerusalem. That doesn't contradict God's word, but it's a specific word for Paul given in line with the general word of God. Doesn't contradict it. I've shared this before. I had a guy told me once he got a word from the Lord. God wanted him to divorce his wife and go on the mission field. He had no grounds for divorce whatsoever. And my brother, that's not a word from the Holy Spirit. That's coming from your own belly. That contradicts God's word. Your, your first mission is right there in your home to your wife. And maybe if you do that well, if you are called there, she'll actually want to follow you and go there with you. Because I got a feeling right now she's probably really not into that since you just want to drop her. And then, you know what, uh, you know, go sin, but, but put the Holy Spirit title on it. So this lines up with the word. And so they got this word that trials awaited him. And then it seems between this word and the word from Agabus that we'll read here in a second that comes a little later. It seems that the warning that they give to him or they ask him not to go. And they, they, they you know, tell him not to go. Seems to, to, to maybe be more their, their counsel. So they warn him here, but then. In verse 10 and 11, it says, as we stay many days, they end up in another place. And I'm, I'm jumping ahead, then we'll jump back because I want to teach this all together. It says, we stayed there many days. And this is talking about Caesarea, which we'll get to in a second. A certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he came to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. So the Jews, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And then we read, they beg him not to go. Now it's interesting, this word is given first of all by these individuals uh, in one place. And then it's confirmed again by Agabus in another place. And the scripture talks about everything be established by two or three witnesses. You'll see that throughout the word of God. And I found in my life, when I get a genuine prophetic word from somebody, it's always been confirmed by someone else by an, or by another source. So someone else will give a similar word, or it might just be me in the word and the Holy Spirit giving me that word. And there's all kinds, again, various gifts and ministries and activities and many ways that God can do that. But it's always going to be in line with Scripture, and it's always going to be clear. Listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't move bringing confusion, he moves bringing clarity. So this word is given, and then listen, this prophetic word given by them and Agabus, and this is important, later on, we see that it's true. And when a prophetic word is given, or a word of knowledge, or a word of wisdom is given that is actually biblical, the way that you test that is that it actually comes to fruition. When you know something that you shouldn't normally know, you find out what you know that you shouldn't know is true. That is, again, a real work of the Spirit of God. When you think, I have a, I have a word of knowledge. I was with uh, a guy once and when I used to do music back in the day and we were on a tour. And he said, I, I, I got a feeling that they're going to give me a guitar in this music store. And I thought, I don't think business works that way, but... Uh, 
And he didn't necessarily say it was a word of knowledge, but he kind of got all weird and looked like he was, he went in the store and he came out empty-handed. They didn't give it to him. That wasn't a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit. It was wishful thinking is what it was. But, you know, there's times when the Lord might give you insight about something you shouldn't know. It might just be an individual where God gives you a specific insight about them that enables you to go minister to them for their profit and the glory of God. Or a word of wisdom. You know, how to handle a situation for, again, the profit of the body of Christ and the glory of God. A supernatural endowment of wisdom. Or I think about, like, Hezekiah, when, when uh, King Hezekiah, when he was sick, he got a word from the prophet to put figs on his boil so that he could be healed. You could say that's a word of wisdom. It was a prophetic healing, but a word of wisdom. And listen, they're always going to be confirmed, though, by what comes on the other side. A, 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 a word of foretelling of future events, guess what? It's actually going to happen as it was foretold. A word of knowledge, that knowledge is going to be true. A word of wisdom and acted on, it's going to bring forth, again, a manifestation of, of a healing or a work of God that comes from that word of wisdom. When someone does these things and they're not true, the Bible calls them a, a false prophet. And it speaks much about this. Deuteronomy 18.20 says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word of my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or speaks in the name of other gods, notice, that prophet shall die. This Old Testament. So if you're going to say, Thus saith the Lord, and the Lord's not saying, and it doesn't come about, by Levitical law, that person was supposed to lose their life. That's how weighty this is. And I'll tell you as well, it's also a picture of how clear the voice of God is when he actually gives a prophetic word. Where you know that you know it's from the Lord. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Very simple. It says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, you should not be afraid of them or don't fear them. And I'll tell you again, and it kind of goes back to what I was talking about, a, a need for a real move of the Spirit of God. Our land today, are you ready for this? It's littered with false prophets. They're all over the place. And even when they prophesy falsely, they still have big old giant followings. Do, do you notice that? Listen, I'm very conservative with my politics. And the guy I voted for didn't win uh, the presidency. And I'm in no way saying he had all the solutions and everything else because he didn't. But compared to option B, it was like a no-brainer. And I know leading into that election, many of these prophets stood up and said, Thus say of the Lord, your guy's going to win. He didn't win, did he? No, he didn't. He lost. Joe Biden's the president. Donald Trump did not win. But these prophets told people what they wanted to hear. And I don't think most of them were wanting to hear it to see a spiritual revival. They were wanting to hear it for their pocketbooks and all kinds of other reasons. Listen to Jeremiah 5.30. This is the commentary on it. An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. My people love to have it so, but what will you do in the end? False prophets tell people what they want to hear. 
They don't hear from God themselves, and they're tested when what they say does not come true. And I'll tell you, the bulk of these people have been prophesying falsely for years, and no one holds them accountable. One of them even said, well, in the Bible, when prophets prophesied falsely, they never apologize. There's a reason for that. True prophets never prophesy falsely. (laughs) Notice what Jesus said concerning the last days. We'll listen to the word and what the Lord says. Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Because these individuals' doctrine, it's filth. It's a pyramid scheme. They get rich. The people get trampled on. People's faith gets shipwrecked. And they're not held accountable. And they're making no impact on the world except they are a blight on the body of Christ. We need a real move of God A real move of the Holy Spirit of God. Not this manufactured nonsense by slick-tongued, you know what, speaking individuals that tickle people's ears and tell them what they want to hear versus proclaiming the word of God. Can we say amen to that this morning? Now notice verse 5. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city We knelt down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And so Paul was not moved when he was warned that trials awaited him. That was a profitable word for him to help prepare him all the more for trials that awaited for him. No doubt it stirred him to prayer. No doubt it prepared him so when they came and when he was again eventually taken into custody, it didn't take him by surprise. He was being able to prepare his person for what was going to come upon him because we are promised trials, and this was a specific word given to him, and he continues to run a straight course. He doesn't, you know what, fall by the wayside because a word is given that persecution and trials are going to come. And Jesus talks about the seeds that are sown, and he talks about the ones that stone sown on the stony ground it's someone that has a profession of faith but it never takes root it's 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 not genuine and this is when in mark 16 17 when tribulation or persecution arise from the for the word's sake immediately they stumble trials and persecutions reveal a lot about where we really are with the lord and i think it really reveals oftentimes People that really don't even know the Lord. Now notice here quickly as well, they all came, men, women, and children, the way that it should be, the house together, the church together, men, women, and children, and they knelt down on the shore and they prayed. And boy, chapter after chapter, we see these men and women praying. Can't encourage you enough. Be in your prayer closet. Be in a real prayer meeting. Get together with others. And Acts 4 31, they had gathered and they prayed, and the place that we were at was shaken. We read it was filled with the Spirit of God, and they spoke the Word of God in boldness. Again, if we, need to, if we want to see a real prophetic word, a move of God, we need to get on our knees and be crying out to God. So Paul went home, or Paul went on, they went home, and then notice verse 7, it says, And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. And on the next day, we who were with Paul's companions 
uh, departed and came to Caesarea. And we've seen all kinds of stuff at Caesarea. I don't got time to recap it this morning, but it's a pretty fascinating place. It's a fascinating place to go to today if you can. Uh, I don't know if everything going on in the world today is as a church will ever go to Israel again. I hope and pray that we can. But there's even a prison cell there that is in the ground that many believe it's the same one that Paul was in prison in in Caesarea. Pretty amazing place. Uh, pretty, pr- the archaeological or the archaeological archaeological digs there is just blow mind blowing with the stuff that's there. But they came to this place. It's up on the coast. And notice the inner of the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven, has stayed with him. Now, I don't got time to read all this, but if you go back to Acts 6, we read about where these seven came from. Remember, there was a complaint against the apostles. Complaints in the church is nothing new. Early on, we got to be like the church of Acts. Well, they had complaints and stuff too. And they complained that the... the um, the, the Greek, the, the Hellenistic Jews weren't getting the daily food, they're widows. So, so the charge was that the, the, you know, Judean Jewish widows are getting their daily distribution of the food, but these that only speak Greek, they're not getting theirs. And, and there's, there's different thoughts on this, whether this was legitimate or not, but at the bottom line, the, the apostles saw that there was more hands that were needed to feed these widows and minister to them. So, led by the Lord, they, they looked for some individuals that could go do this. Because it wasn't desirable for them to get away from the word and prayer. They needed to be about the business of studying and praying and so forth to minister to the, you know what, the pressing spiritual needs. So, they gave this charge. Find some guys that can serve tables in Acts 6, 3, it says, of good reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit, and men of wisdom. And they found these seven men. One would be Stephen, who would be martyred after preaching the gospel and serving tables. And the other would be Philip, whose name would then be turned into Philip the Evangelist. Because after a great persecution would arise against the church, we see in Acts 8, Philip would go to Samaria, to the Samaritans, and preach the gospel. And a great revival would happen there. And then from there, he'd be led by the Spirit down to the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he would leave this Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. And that man would take the gospel down deeper into Africa. And then from there we saw him caught up in the spirit, which is an amazing thing, like a mini rapture. And eventually he'd end up in Caesarea, where Paul is now. And he'd preach the gospel in every city along the way, including where he was in Caesarea. He preached that men were sinners, that they needed to repent. That Christ died for our sins and rose from the grave. And salvation only comes through faith in him. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what I love? A great period of time has passed. And what do we see Philip still doing? Now that he's kind of stationed in Caesarea, we still see him doing what? Running a straight course. He hasn't deviated at all. And in fact, I would say his ministry had become more powerful than it had ever been before. Because what we read about happening here is more powerful, in my opinion, than the revival that happened in Samaria, than the Ethiopian eunuch getting saved, or even preaching in all those cities. Because notice what the verse, the next verse says. Now this man had four, four virgin daughters who prophesied. That is one of the most glorious verses in Acts, if perhaps not the entire Bible. 
our ministry is first to our home, then it is out to the world and to the church and all those other things. And these girls were sexually pure, and these were girls that were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were girls that were now running a straight course as well. We need to know in this world that is, full, so, that is so sensual, that is so perverse, where, where it just perversity is the norm today. And in fact, if you say, hey, wait a minute, this is wrong, you're probably going to get booed and persecuted for it. But God's will for us is to be a people that are sexually pure. Notice 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Notice here, this is the will of God for you. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That's all sexual, again, lust and action outside of a man and woman and holy matrimony. He says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this manner. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we have forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but holiness. Therefore, hear this, therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us his Holy Spirit. And I'm sad to say this morning that I have dealt with many people that say they're Christians who reject this over the years. I've had people, we've had people leave this church over the years, men who are called to celibacy because they were married and they said oh steve that guy and he doesn't know what he's talked talking about this is god's will this is the word of god this is not my opinion and hear this if you reject this the bible says here you're rejecting god that's a serious thing is it not god's will is that we would abstain from sexual immorality now listen again in this world that we are living in where there's so much temptation, the Lord understands that this is a great struggle for many people. Please, though, be bringing that struggle to the Lord versus moving off the course to justify that struggle and say, well, hey, wait a minute, there's a different rule for me because, man, I, I just got more hormones than everybody else or whatever it would be. Don't do that. Because this is here for our good. Do you know that this morning? This is here... That by the grace of God, we would hear this, be abounding in this, moving forward in this, so that that which is dislocated already can be healed. Versus allowing it to continue to be dislocated, to have dislocated lives that are, again, getting more dislocated. And so this morning, again, maybe you're in a place of singleness. Maybe you're in a place where you've fallen from this. Listen, as a virgin should never make light of their virginity, the Lord said if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bring those things before the Lord and all the more do not make light of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive, wash, make new and restore. They also prophesied. We talked a lot about this. We are called in 1 Corinthians 14 to pursue love. And to desire spiritual gifts, especially that we could prophesy. And primarily prophecy is speaking the word of God and the things of God and power. The foretelling of future events that we touch on is more of the minor aspect. Because listen, when you speak God's word and power, God's word is a prophetic book. 
And so they walked in this. Now quickly here. <sighs> quickly here. How did this happen? I, I want insights here. I, I want to glean from Philip and how this man was making such an impact on those around them. Again, in this case, his four daughters. Do you not want some insights on this? I'll give you seven things, and I'm going to try to do them quickly. Number one, listen, you want to make an impact, especially on your children in your home. This might be the biggest thing. Be a real Christian. He was a man that had a good reputation, and that came from a real walk with the Lord. Proverbs 22, 6, it's more of a principle than a promise. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. But now listen to Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You know what provokes children to wrath in the church? When their parents are hypocrites. It provokes them to wrath. And that's not just talking about them getting angry. That's talking about the wrath of an eternal hell. You better, we better pray for grace and mercy to be real Christians that our walk Sunday morning at church looks the same Tuesday afternoon when we're picking them up from school. A couple Spurgeon quotes for you. Train up a child in the way he should go, but make sure you go that way yourself. And here's another one. How can your children believe in your religion when they see the godlessness of your life? This is a weighty thing. But when I interact with people, oftentimes the, 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 the people that I, and, and they have a free will, and they're, it's not an excuse, but I run into a lot of people that, again, say they were raised in the church, but they don't follow the Lord now. And I say nine out of ten, they say, because my parents were hypocrites. They were one way around the church people, another during the week. They said hallelujah on Sunday morning, and, and, and they dropped nothing but F-bombs during the week. Philip had a good reputation because he had a real walk with the Lord. Secondly, listen, he was a man, as we already read, if you backtrack again there in Acts 6, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about this already. We got to abide in the Lord to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, raising kids, making an impact, we can't do that on our own. But the Spirit of God wants to empower you. Be dependent upon the Holy Spirit of the Lord. He was also a man of wisdom, we read there. And we got to move in wisdom in discipling or disciplining our children. <laughs> Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Can we say amen? Oh, they're so innocent. No, they're born little sinners. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. But boy, we need wisdom and moving in that rod. Sometimes that rod is a rod of correction. Sometimes it's a rod of direction. It's a picture of a shepherd's staff. Beautifully, the Bible says in James 1, if you lack wisdom, if you pray, God will give it. Proverbs 9, 4 through 6 talks about that call to get wisdom from the word. And we better be crying out for wisdom from God and for help from God and raising our kids. Man, don't fall into that trap of I'm the model of how a parent should be. Pray for grace and mercy. It's a wise thing to do. Philip was also a servant. Let your kids see you serving the Lord and others. Jesus said, you know what? 
let the world see your good works that they would do what? Glorify you. No, glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus talks about washing after he washed the disciples' feet. And John 13, 15 said, he said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. These girls served as they had seen dad serve. They were serving with prophetic gifts. Hear this. Selfishness produces selfishness. Stinginess produces stinginess. Serving produces servants. Number five, listen, take steps of faith. Philip took steps of faith. He went down to Samaria when the persecution broke out. He overtook that chariot to minister to the Ethiopian eunuch. This dude took steps of faith. I'll just read this. It, it, it explains itself. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it's impossible to please him or please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then look at the next example in this chapter on faith. By faith, Noah, having been divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved in godly fear, prepared an ark, notice, for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. He moved in faith. His family was on board in that ark. Take steps of faith in serving the Lord. Two more. And I got the list for you, so I'm not going to start over and over. And The clock's ticking here. Listen, he was an evangelist. And maybe you're like, I don't have that gift. But 2 Timothy 4 or 5, we're all called to do the work of an evangelist. It is your job, first and foremost, to be teaching your children about sin, hell, the work of the cross, and salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. And don't be waiting until you think they're at the age of accountability. Start when you pray it into them in the womb (laughs) and talk about them, talk to them about it continually, the work of the cross. Let that be the center of your conversation with your children and your home that they know of sin. They know the consequences of sin is hell. And they know that Jesus died for their sins. He rose from the grave and defeated sin, death, Satan, and hell. And through faith in him, they have salvation. Don't put that off on the Sunday school teacher. Don't put that off on the good news club or, boy, we're going to send them off to camp when they're 12 and we hope they hear the gospel and get saved. Man, 12 nowadays, that's like 22 back 10, 15 years ago. You're like, how do I do that, man? Go get, we got tons of gospel tracks. Go get that bridge to life. Go through that with your kids. Take them to the gospel over and over and over and over. Grill it into them. It's the power of God unto salvation. And then lastly, listen, when Philip was in uh, Samaria, it says he cast out demons. And he was a man engaged in and aware of spiritual warfare. You better be aware of that. Because in our homes, we're either inviting devils in or we're casting them out. And God has not called us to partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. 1 Corinthians 10.21 If we have unchecked sin... It absolutely is a doorway for the enemy to come in and to attack our home. Keep short accounts with the Lord. 
If there's things going on in your life that you know shouldn't be going on, if there's things in your home that you know are not glorifying God and they're out of control, you need to deal with that. Don't wait till it's too late. God grant us grace and mercy to act today. So seven things there. And boy, there's a whole lot more, but those are directly, you know what, things we see in Philip's life. Quickly here, verse 10. And we stayed many days, and we read this already. A certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentile. This was a true prophet of God. He prophesied early in Acts 11, there'd be a famine, and there was. And now notice verse 12. And we're almost done here. When we had heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. I love it. They were concerned for his person. These are good brothers and sisters in the Lord. But Paul was more concerned, hear this this morning, for the nation of Israel's salvation. Verse 13, then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm not ready only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. They were concerned for his person. He was concerned for their salvation. In fact, in Romans 9, 3, Paul basically says, If I could go to hell to save Israel and be accursed, I would. Doesn't work that way. There's only one Savior, Jesus. Now, praise God, we know from Romans 11, the day is coming when all Israel will be saved. And we're called not to be ignorant of that mystery. And we talked so much about this, this last Wednesday, all these last Wednesday nights of the book of Daniel. We need to be aware of that and not ignorant of it. And Paul was not ignorant of this. And he had a great zeal to take the gospel to his people, but also, again, fill that commission, the gospel to the Jew first, then the Gentile. And so he says, listen, I'm, I'm ready to be bound. I'm all, also ready to die. If I'm bound, I'm bound. If I die, I die. We read earlier in Acts, Paul did not count his life dear to himself. And eventually he would die, not in Jerusalem, but Rome. But it wouldn't be vain. He talks about running the course. And a crown of righteousness waiting for him. When you hold on to your life, you lose it. When you lay it down for his sake, you gain it. Verse 14, so when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying, the will will of the Lord be done. He couldn't be persuaded. Why? Because Paul was running a straight course. And I love how they end it. We cease. And really listen. There's really nothing better than just saying, hey, you know what? Let the Lord's will be done, amen? Because <laughs> His will is so much better than ours. Let's stand up and we'll close in prayer and worship of the Lord. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we bless you, we praise you, and give you glory. We thank you for this day today, God. We thank you for all you're doing and all you've done, all you're going to do, Lord. And we thank you, God, for your prophetic word before us today. Let us be a people, God. God, that are getting entrenched in the scripture, God. Lest we drift. Let us be a people, God, filled with the Holy Spirit. Lest we drift. Let us be a people, God, just moving, God, and the call you've placed before us. And there's nothing that you're going to call us to that you won't empower us to 
to be able to do. Lord, bless the families in this fellowship. Bless the children in this fellowship. God, my prayer is that, Lord, they'd be raised in this place and in their homes seeing true Christianity and seeing the name of Jesus lifted up. Help us in this, God. And if you're here today, you've heard the gospel. If you haven't called on the name of the Lord, today's the day of salvation. And I can't encourage you enough to call on the Lord even right now. To ask Him to be your Lord, your Savior. To bring your sin before Him and ask Him to wash you of it. To turn from your way to put your trust in Him. To want to walk in His way. We thank you and praise you. God, let us finish well, lifting our voices to you, Lord. Let's, let's worship the Lord here as we close.
Sorry about that. Broke a string. <laughs> but we finished. Amen. <laughs> Listen, I pray God just richly blesses you and shines his face on you. You have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus. We have like half an hour before the next service, so I encourage you to fellowship, encourage one another, and, you know, uh, build up one another in the Lord. God bless.